This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Folks, let's turn to the Word of God this morning. And today we are into chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. It has been our autumn series. We started back at the start of September. Uh, and by God's grace, by Christmas, by New Year, we will have worked our way through this book. Uh, some people wonder, Scott, why, why 2 Corinthians? How do you pick the books you do? Simply, uh, I want to preach the whole Bible, Genesis through to Revelation. And when it comes to the New Testament as a church family, we haven't been in the book of Acts. Uh, up until this year, we haven't been in 2 Corinthians and there are a couple of other places uh, that we haven't been. So that's why, that's how, that's why we're in 2 Corinthians and I trust that it is a blessing to you. So 2 Corinthians 9 is where we are. I'm going to read the whole chapter and this is the word of God. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Ikea has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. For being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Amen. And we thank God today for the reading of his word. The last time we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
we boldly proclaimed that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic means universal, so if you ever were to say, I have Catholic tastes, then what you mean is that you have wide and varied tastes. You like this, that, and the other thing. You are Catholic in your taste. When we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what we mean is that we believe in the church universal, the church worldwide. Wherever the gospel has been preached and men and women have received Christ by faith, then there is the church Catholic. But it's not just one thing to believe in the Holy Catholic Church. It's another thing to be part of it and to support it. See, we can believe in it and still have next to nothing to do with it. But that was certainly not an option for the Apostle. As we get into chapter 9, he reminds the Corinthians about their promise to give to the work of the Holy Catholic Church. And he urges them not to be embarrassed in this work. He begins in verse 1 by telling them that it is superfluous for him to write to them about the ministry for the saints. I can hardly say that word, although I impressed myself just a couple of seconds there. It is superfluous. Hopefully I have said that right. Don't email, don't write in. I won't read any of it. But that word simply means that it is unnecessary. Paul says, it is unnecessary for me to write to you in Corinth about the ministry for the saints. I don't need to do it. I know who you are, I know what you're about, I know what you're like, and I know that you're going to make good on your promise to contribute to the work of the Holy Catholic Church. I would remind you, my brothers and sisters, that these were days of trouble and famine under the reign of the Emperor Claudius. The churches in Judea, the churches in Jerusalem, were really, really struggling. And so Paul gathers up a collection for the Holy Catholic Church that are undergoing this severe famine. The Corinthians have promised already that they're going to be part of that. And so Paul says, I don't need to remind you. You've already promised and I know, verse 2, of your readiness. And indeed, I boast about this readiness to the people of Macedonia, saying that the region you're in, Achaia, has been ready since last year. So the Corinthians are not against this giving. They're not against this offering. They're not against the church Catholic. They know that they're not independent and have already made it clear to the apostle that they're going to support the work of the wider church. It's not just them in their own little four walls and their own little part of the kingdom. They understand that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is much bigger than the boundaries that we often place around us. So they're ready to do it. And as Paul tells the churches and the Christians in Macedonia about this, their zeal in Corinth has stirred up most of the other Christians in Macedonia. And there we see again the interconnectedness, the interdependence of the church Catholic. Believers in Macedonia hear about the gospel readiness of believers in Corinth and it stirs them up, it excites them, it, it encourages them, it challenges them. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But Paul says in verse 3, that just as the Macedonians are ready and stirred up by the testimony of the Corinthians, he is also sending the brothers to them in Corinth, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. Last time out we discussed that how Paul was sending Titus and two unnamed brothers to the church in Corinth to gather up the collection. Now there's a perfectly valid reason for this. 
If the offering is a sizable one, you don't want to put that into the hands of one individual. You want there to be accountability. And that is why in our local churches we are wise when we look after money well. We don't take it all home on a Sunday and count it up on the big dining room table of the minister. That's foolishness. It, it makes it uh, open to theft and, and to stealing. In the same way, when it comes to our own financial affairs, we make sure that we do everything above board. We don't hide stuff away from the government. We don't uh, put stuff down the back of the radiator and, and keep it just for ourselves. In all things, we seek to honour Caesar also by extension, therefore bringing honour to God. And so as this collection is to be lifted and brought to the saints in Judea, Paul sends not one, not two, but three. There's Titus. There's a brother who is famous for his preaching of the gospel and there's another brother who has been tested by the apostle himself and sent out by the local church. Again, no independence here. No one gets to stand on their own in the church of Jesus Christ and no one gets to stand up and say, we're non-denominational, we're the only Christians in the world and no other Christians on this planet have any right to talk to us about anything we do or say. Paul sends the brothers so that his boasting about the Corinthians would not prove empty in this matter. You see, what if Paul's boasting about the Corinthians, what if him proclaiming how good and, and zealous these Corinthians were turned out to be false? What if the visitors came to gather up the collection and they hadn't even started bringing it all together? What if they'd forgotten about it? What if they'd spent the money on a, a new church roof instead? None of this could come to pass. And so Paul says, I want you to be ready at the end of verse 3, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me, verse 4, find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated, you as well, for being so confident in this matter. Of course, this isn't going to happen. Paul has already said it is superfluous for him to write about this but he gives them this opportunity. He, he flags it up again. He says you were ready last year. Make sure it's there. The visitors are coming. Let none of us experience humiliation or embarrassment in this matter. And so in verse 5 Paul says I thought it therefore necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it might be ready as a willing gift and not an exaction. And when it comes to our giving to the church Catholic, when it comes to our financial offerings to the church local and the church wider, it always must be a willing gift, not an exaction. In our daily devotions a couple of weeks ago, I used the example of how when we were growing up at home, there used to come knocks on the door and there'd be guys standing there with a little jar and they were taking donations for loyalist prisoners. And other times they would come round and they would say a new band was starting up and here's the jar. They shake it and there's money in it and they say, look, if you pay in, this will go to brand new band uniforms or t-shirts to get our band on the road. And you were never quite sure if that band would ever see the light of day. But as those uninvited guests stood at your doorstep shaking their little money box, you made the calculation in your own mind. You thought it might be better to thro throw a few pounds in here now instead of having to pay to get my windows replaced at a later stage. You see, an exaction 
is not how we do business in the church. At no point should we come and, and twist people's arms up their back. Paul doesn't come to the Corinthians and say, you better give to the wider church or else, or I'm going to come and I'm going to denounce you. I'm going to come and I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to come and call you names or, or somehow I'm going to be able to remove your salvation from you. Nonsense. Paul says, I have sent the brothers on ahead so that they give you this opportunity to gather up this gift that you have promised so that it is there, ready, willing, and able to be distributed among the church Catholic. This is no exaction. This is no dodgy cause with an individual standing on the doorstep of your fellowship shaking a jar in your face. Paul makes it clear that when it comes to our giving into the local church, it isn't an exaction, but it is to be given cheerfully. Paul says in verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. My friends, when it comes to the thorny subject of giving, no one wants to preach it. No one wants to listen to it. Me and my money is a very private affair, a private thing. And so don't be bringing it into the pulpit. But we have no business to, to leave it out if it is in the word of God. We have no business to overlook passages like 2 Corinthians 9 if it is in the word of God. I've made it clear why I have been preaching through 2 Corinthians this year. I decided it around this time last year. I'd hoped about it and planned for it. I expected it to be done way before the summer. And then, of course, COVID-19 comes. But the reason I, I like working my way through books, starting at chapter 1 and going to the very end, is because you have no excuse to dodge any difficult passages. And you have no excuse for people to say, oh, he's, he's riding his hobby horse. Look, he's in 2 Corinthians 9 again. Sure, he preached that about a month ago. There's no excuse. You start at chapter 1, you go to the end, and whatever comes next, that is what you preach. And in this way, working book by book by book, we go through the entire counsel of Almighty God. Here the Lord speaks to us about our money, about our giving. And he says in verse 6, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so at first glance we read this and we delight, we marvel, because at first glance it seems to support what those health, wealth and prosperity preachers like to say. That the more money you pay in, the more God will give you back. Now that isn't what Paul is speaking about here and hopefully we will see that. But let me share with you uh, an incident in my life that I will vividly remember, I suspect, to the day I die. When I came across this husband and wife who were going through an exceptionally bad time, the details of it don't need to be verbalised. But the difficult time was upon them. There didn't seem to be an end to sight. And one day the husband was watching the God Channel and he saw this mission somewhere in America. And if you phoned up and asked for prayer, then those at the mission would pray for you. 
And the mission was seeing miracles. The mission was seeing people raised from the dead. The mission was seeing men and women's prayers answered in every way, great and small. So why not phone in and have your prayer answered? This man saw it. And out of love and compassion for his wife, he phoned to ask those at the mission in America to pray for his wife here in Northern Ireland. The man was stunned, however, when he was asked about his donation. And he wondered what they meant. They said, well, look, we, we will pray for your wife, certainly, but, but are you prepared to give a donation to the mission? The man was taken aback somewhat, but he said he would, and, and he was going to pay him, let's say, £10 or whatever it might be. That wasn't met with any great joy on the other end of the phone. Instead, he was told that the more he paid, the more he could be assured of the blessing of God. The more he paid into this work that was off God and people were being raised from the dead and it was amazing and revival was going to break out across the states, the more he paid into this work, the more he was going to get back. Now needless to say, he decided that he didn't want anything to do with this and he thanked the individual and hung up the phone. My friends, maybe you've experiences like that. Maybe you have believed the lies of those who have made a career and made a fortune out of those big and bold promises. Pay into this mission, pay into this church, and God will act like some genie in a lamp and pop out and give you three wishes and then give some more and he'll give you some more wishes. The more you pay in, the more you get back. The more you pay in, you will never get sick. The more you pay in, the more wealth and health and happiness in this world that you're going to have. And such frauds, and they are, and such charlatans, and they are, go to verses like this and say, there you go. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, my friends, I'm not trying to take away the meaning of this passage. Certainly, we look at verse 6, and certainly the Lord says there will be blessings for those who sow bountifully. We shouldn't try to, to hide away from that. But the blessings that the faith healers and preachers of, of prosperity promise you, they're not the blessings that we find in the pages of Scripture. These individuals act like you will never be sick and that you will never die. And they act as if you give to the Lord and you will never know poverty. If that is the case, then why are the vast majority of Christians in this world, the vast majority, in the grip of persecution? And in the grip of poverty, it is only the church here in the West. And let's be honest, the church in the West is weak. It's only the church in the West that at this point in history does not know persecution and does not know poverty. But the vast majority of the church Catholic are completely the opposite. If the faith healers and, and prosperity preachers are speaking truth, then why... Does the genie who they have turned our God into not suddenly click his fingers and make all these men and women healthier and happier and richer? He doesn't do it because he never promised to do it. The one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. There will be a blessing to the one who gives generously to the work of the Holy Catholic Church. But let us not believe the lie that says it is going to be gold and silver in your bank account. 
See, those who get on TV and put the arm up your back, well, what they are doing is exacting you for your money. They are saying, pay in and we will give you something good in return. But here the apostle says in verse 7, Instead, we are not to be exacted, but each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Here is how we give to the church and the Catholic church at that. Not under compulsion, not being forced into it. Not being told that the more we give, the more God will answer our prayers. Not reluctantly or any of those things, but cheerfully. And my brothers and sisters, certainly it is a sign of the supernatural work of God in our lives if we as Christians give cheerfully. Whoever likes giving away their money? Whoever likes putting their hand in their pocket and paying into a charity? We, we see those men and women down the street. They've got their wee jars. They've got their bibs on. We know they're going to jump at us. And what we're trying to do is do our Christmas shopping. We, we don't want to give money to saving the aardvarks and drumming ass. We try to avoid it. But we know and there's evidence in our lives of that supernatural work when we willingly and happily and cheerfully give to the work of the local church. And the Lord, in verse 8, is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, there is the spiritual blessing. In this passage, the Lord does not say, do this and I will give you riches beyond your imagination. Do this, and I will give you the best-looking wife in the world. Do this, and I will give you the biggest house in the street. He doesn't mention it. Instead, just as our salvation is a supernatural work, just as faith is a gift from the Lord, which is worth more than gold, in the same way, the blessing comes in the supernatural work of God in our lives. He is able to make all grace abound to us and that we will be sufficient in all ways, that we will experience no lack. And in all things and in all times, we will abound in every good work. You see that? We will be sanctified. We will be engaged in the work of the church at home and abroad. We will abound in love of neighbour and love of God. We will abound in every good work. Here is the blessing of God that flows into our lives as we are generous to the Holy Catholic Church. And to prove this point, Paul takes us into the Old Testament. Referencing Psalm 112 and Isaiah 55, Paul says... In verse 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Here is the believer, here is the Christian man in this psalm. Here is the individual who freely and willingly and cheerfully gives to the poor. And that man's righteousness, his standing before the Lord, endures forever. Not because God says that man is generous to charity and therefore I will save him, but because this man is already saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And because the Lord is at work in him, because the Lord is sanctifying him, he generously and freely gives to the poor. Such a man is a righteous man. 
His righteousness is an alien righteousness credited to his account. It is the righteousness of Christ received by faith in Jesus. That man's righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness, endures forever. And the one who supplies seed to the sower, bringing from Isaiah and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And again, we see the real blessing that comes when we are cheerfully engaged in giving financially to the Holy Catholic Church. It is a harvest of righteousness. You see, those who sit and listen to the preachers that promise wealth and health and prosperity on this earth, they miss this. They miss the fact that the blessing comes when Believers far, far away from your own wee patch and your own wee church are converted to Christ. And you see, that's the thing. If you ever wonder what we do as a church, well, get the annual report, read the mission account, and you will see where we send money to every year. I suspect that the vast majority of you will never go to Norway. You will never set foot in Egypt. Maybe you've been to Canada for holidays, but perhaps you'll never go to do gospel work. You've never been to Africa, to Nigeria or to other parts of the great continent. You've never set foot in Asia and chances are you never will. And even closer to home, because we support the work of the PCI from Cork to Korean, I suspect very few of you will cross the border, go looking for these churches that you help and support financially. But the blessing promised here, the blessing that comes from generosity to the Lord, is a harvest of righteousness. It humbles me to know that when we give cheerfully here in Balna Hinch, that the Lord takes that money and he multiplies that money and he doesn't pop it into our bank account as a wee pat in the back because we're good boys and good girls, but instead he takes it and uses it and he builds his church. And it isn't that the Lord needs us to give him the money. It's not that the Lord depends on us. It's not that the Lord is counting on us. The Lord stands alone. He does not need us. He did not make us to fill a lack in him. He does not save us because he doesn't want heaven without us. It's not that. But the Lord delights in using means to bring about his purposes. And the means by which the Lord will convert sinners to himself is by the preaching of the gospel by men and women receiving it by faith and by the building up of the local church in all of those wee parts of the world. My friends, what a blessing. What a blessing that when we pop our money in the envelope, when we say we're, we're going to support that missionary in that faraway place that we can't even say, we hear and see here that the Lord gives the increase. He increases the harvest of your righteousness. He brings men, women and children into saving faith, into a right relationship with Christ. And so that their faith, which is more precious than gold, as we started the service by saying, their faith will see its reward, which is the salvation of their souls. There's our blessing. And the next time we're looking for our Mercedes-Benz in the driveway or that bigger house or God giving us those three wishes and why am I sick because I paid in, the next time we believe any of that, may the Lord forgive us. And may he bring us back to a place where we realize 
that there's no greater blessing than sinners being brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Paul says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way by the Lord. So you will be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, there's the end goal, or at least it should be the end goal for every single one of us, that God will be praised in the nation. That God will be praised and thanked in the lands where currently today there is little to no praise or thanksgiving extended unto the Lord. There's what drives us in our giving. Thanksgiving to God. Praises to the Lord. And he enriches us to be generous in every way. And as we respond to him and the work of the gospel in our lives, we give cheerfully, happily, for we know that there is worth nothing worth more than the precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants this ministry in verse 12, not just to supply the needs of the saints, but also to overflow into many thanksgivings to God. And by their service, verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. Do you see that? Do you see again how the church is not independent? That as the Corinthians give to the poor and suffering in Judea, they see it, they rejoice, they thank God. And verse 14, they long for you, they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Here's how we bathe our financial giving in each and every church. Here is, is how we look upon it. And we know in Northern Ireland, don't we, how it often works, how it usually works. When we're cross at something that's happened, when we're a bit grumpy at the minister or, or somebody else in the church, we, we say, well, that's it. They're not going to see another penny. I know of one church locally who, uh, under protest, some people were putting chocolate buttons into their church envelopes and, and handing that in. My friends, what have we come to if we think that this is a reasonable response and a reasonable way to act? We do not give to a man. We do not give to be patted on the back. We, we do not give to keep our graveyard rights. We do not give for any of those reasons to get our three wishes from the genie who is God. But that is a false God. We do not give to a false God who, who clicks his fingers and jumps when we command him to. Instead, we acknowledge the one true God who is no genie granting wishes but is the one who freely and willingly sent his only son Jesus to die in our stead. My friends, if the gospel is true as it surely is, if Christ paid the price for our sins as he surely did, and if Jesus dead and buried in a tomb but rose again from the dead and then ascended up to glory, if all of this magnificent tale is true, then I would suggest to you that there is no greater tale ever told on this earth. The gospel is always worth an investment. 
The gospel is always worth our time and our focus and our energy and our money. The church Catholic, when supported by local churches like ours and whatever your church may be, the church Catholic supported in this way glorifies God. Father, we thank you for men and women who we never know and never meet this side of glory. Father, we, we pray for them, says Paul. Father, we delight that these men and women in Corinth or in Balnehinch or in Sainfield or in Cumber or Ballygown or Ardglass, we thank you, Lord God, that these people that are called Presbyterians in that faraway island called Ireland, we thank you, Lord God, that they have been generous in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you and, and pray for them and rejoice because of the surpassing grace of God upon them. What a joy it is to be prayed for by brothers and sisters in faraway lands because we have contributed generously to the work of the church Catholic. No wonder Paul says in verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for the majesty and, and the delight and the mystery of how all of this works. You see, when the false preachers tell you that it's all about your bank account, when it's all about your health, wealth and happiness and prosperity in this life, when the false teachers tell you, oh, oh just believe and, and God will magically fill your tank full of petrol, just believe and, and pay in a wee bit more and, and that child of, of, of yours who isn't too well, well, they're going to be magically healed and magically fixed. When they tell you that you will never have a day of worry again in your life, if you will believe, then they put all the focus and all the attention on you. And they say, well, if none of these things have, have happened in your life, it's obviously about you. It's obviously that, that your faith isn't big enough. It's not strong enough. You're struggling because you don't believe enough. You're facing issues because, well, you don't have the faith of those other men and women that live in the big houses. That have the big money and the, the, the fancy holidays four times a year. It's because of you and your faith, they say. My brothers and sisters, perish the thought. Perish the thought. Faith is a receiving and a resting in Christ as he is offered in the gospel. But faith is not this magic substance that somehow if you just top it up, then all your dreams will come true. May the Lord close our ears to the false teachers. May he close our hearts to that desire for health, wealth and prosperity and maybe it will come if I go to that fancy mission down at the Odyssey and, and pay in enough. May the Lord close our eyes and ears to all of that and open them only to his word. May we look for the harvest of righteousness throughout this world. May we rejoice when we realise that churches have been planted and many have been saved in faraway lands that we will never set foot. May we rejoice every day as faraway churches, part of the bride of Christ, pray for us and thank God for us. What a joy-filled and inexpressible gift it is to be generous in the local church. So what do we do with all this? 
How should we give? Well, my brothers and sisters, today I'm not going to tell you how to give. Today I'm not going to put a figure on it. Today I'm not going to talk pounds, shillings and pence. But the word speaks to every issue. The word talks to us. The word makes it clear. Here is what God says. And I think throughout the word of God, when it comes to this difficult issue of money, the word is not silent. We've heard so much already in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 8 and verse 3, the Lord has told us to give according to our means. According to our means. And sometimes to even go beyond that. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, as we have discovered today, the Lord tells us that we are not to be forced into giving to the church Catholic. But we are to give cheerfully. We are to make up our mind on how much we want to give and give it with willingness and with a smile on our face. And in his word, the Lord tells us that our faith and additionally any financial gift that we give to the church does not guarantee health, wealth and prosperity. Jesus says in John 16 and verse 33 that the Christian walk will be hard in this world, in this life. We will have trouble, says Jesus. The prosperity preachers have no theology of suffering, no understanding that Christians get sick, the Christians die, the Christians go through awful days. Jesus makes it clear, in this world, we will have suffering. And the Lord tells us in Acts 16 and 31 that our salvation has got nothing to do with our financial offering. When the Philippian jailer asks Paul what must he do to be saved, Paul doesn't mention his checkbook. Paul doesn't say, well, how much are you going to give to the mission? How much are you going to pay in? What's in your bank account? He doesn't mention it. Do you want to contribute to my jet that's going to fly me all across the world to preaching engagements? Paul doesn't mention it. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And my friends, I want you to hear that because I suspect in Northern Ireland, whether we want to talk about money or not, I suspect that there are a great many that like to think that financial giving equals eternal assurance. That paying into a church means that somehow, someway, someday you will be seen right by the big man upstairs. Not a bit. Salvation is not dependent on finance or generosity or big checks written at the end of the year to hopefully, fingers crossed, appease that God that the preacher tells you is angry with your sin. We are saved by trusting in Christ, receiving him by faith. It is grace, faith, Jesus alone, without which no man, no woman, no child will ever be saved. The Lord tells us in his word as well that we don't turn him into a genie. We don't give him a gift that he has to repay. He is not a genie who responds to our money with three wishes. You read Romans 11 and 35. No one's been the Lord's counsellor. No one has given him a gift that he has to repay. God is not like a shady politician doing backroom deals. We've heard a lot about that recently with the, the election in America. The backroom deals, you pay me this much, you support my campaign and I'll give you access when it comes to it when I'm in the big job. That's not how God works. 
So you're not buttering him up. You're not patting him on the back. You're, you're not giving him a gift that means eventually he's going to have to pay you back. Not a bit of it. And in Matthew 6 and 18, the Lord tells us to avoid storing up treasure here on earth. Where rust and, and moth destroy. It's the old Northern Ireland saying, isn't it? That you can't take it with you. There's, there's no tow bar in the back of a hearse. That's absolutely true. My friends, this world is fleeting. This world is passing. And so if we find ourselves building a kingdom here, storing up treasure here, then ultimately all of it gets taken away from us. None of it comes with us to the other side. And the Lord tells us that when we give to the work of the gospel at home and abroad, it is in response to his grace. We've seen that in this passage about the, the righteous man giving freely to the poor. The giving to the poor doesn't save the man. He gives to the poor because he is saved. Our giving is a response to the grace of God in our lives. And the Lord tells us that our giving should always be in view of his glory and the advance of the gospel. That our giving should always long for and seek the salvation of sinners wherever we are going and wherever we are supporting. These things, of course, that I've said do not answer all of our questions about money. Today you might want to know, should a Christian tithe? Should a Christian give a tithe a, a tenth of their income? Many believers say, absolutely yes, it is a biblical standard. We see Abram tithing to Melchizedek. We know that Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek. Therefore, you should tithe the 10% of your income before tax. I'm not going to preach that today. I'm not going to demand that. But I ask you read this passage. I ask that you listen to this sermon. And I ask that before your Lord, before your Savior, you decide on what you will give to the church Catholic and give it cheerfully for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it is only that kingdom it is only the kingdom of God standing against the kingdom of man. We talked about that the other week. The, the duplex regimen, the two kingdoms. And whether we like it or not, we are citizens on this earth. But we rejoice in the fact that too we are citizens of heaven. But only one of those will stand. Only one of those has foundations that will never be shaken. And my friends, as we have looked at and considered this thorny subject today, I simply urge you to consider what we know to be true, the reality of this world that is passing away. See, every single day, whether it is with COVID or some other disease or just old age, every single day, men die without Christ. That's true. That's true. Even as I started preaching this, just before I finish, there will be people who have died and gone somewhere, even in the time it's taken me to conduct this service and to preach this sermon. And as Christians, we know that that somewhere is either heaven or it is hell. 
They are the only two destinations. There's nowhere in between. You don't get to spend 50 years in a place getting your knuckles wrapped and then you get the, the promotion to the big house at heaven. That's not how it works. There's heaven or there's hell. There's Abram's bosom, paradise with Christ forever. Or there's eternal torment and punishment and a place prepared for the devil and his angels. My friends, you know these things to be true. We share this in common, that we believe these things to be true. And if that is the case, and if we know that Jesus is a wonderful saviour of sinners, that he is the only hope in this sin-scarred life, if he remains the way and the truth and the life, then why would, not, why would we not respond cheerfully and generously to the work of the church Catholic in this world. My friends, a cheerful investment in the gospel is never in vain. And so today I pray that the gospel will advance and that Christ will be glorified and thanked in far off lands.